I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's going down? Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the What's Going Down podcast here, wherever you get your podcast. My name is Kenny and I'm joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin. Finn, how are you today? Yeah, I'm all right, Kenny. Yeah, better than you. I understand that uh, you've just done a review of a uh, of a certain pay-per-view from the old days that was a bit of a bit of a struggle. Oh God, sold out 2000. Um, I got the call to be... To be drafted in for that, which was fine. It took me three sittings to get through the show. The problem with WCW pay-per-views, I've found, is that they're very boring most of the time. Like, even when it was when the company was on fire, a lot of times the the, the shows are just really dull. Um, I don't know what it is or, or why, but um, the WWF just always seemed to pace their shows better. I think it's because the matches tended to just be either a bit more interesting or be relatively short. And... But sold out 2000 was dire. Obviously, there was, you know, Russo got canned two days before the, the pay-per-view or got told he was no longer the head writer. Jarrett and Bret Hart both couldn't wrestle because they had concussions. Um, they were trying to draft in everybody from Randy Savage to Hulk Hogan to Ric Flair. And in the end, they ended up picking Chris Benoit, who wins the world title and then walks out the next day. Yeah. So, I mean, I, could, I can't even imagine when you're writing Power Slam at that point. You, I mean writing the issue for that month with all that stuff happening because it's like there's so much stuff you know and it's kind of how you know how you how you get all this i mean i don't envy the position that you had 
Oh no, it was it was actually uh, I think actually Rob uh, Rob Butcher did that article, but I mean we were both keenly aware of what was going on, and it was a huge story um, with all these unbelievable developments, um, you know, many of which now in hindsight all made sense, such as you know Vince Russo suggesting that Tank Abbott become the new WCW World <laughs> Champion after Bret Hart had to vacate, and um, I think it was was it Bill Bush. Whoever was in charge at the time just said, no, we're not doing that. And no, you know, you're not the head writer anymore. You're going to be part of a committee. And he said, no, I'm not going to be a part of a committee. And he went home and uh, and sold how it took place a couple of days later, as you said. And uh, yeah, our um, title for the review in the magazine at the time was Soul Destroying, which I thought was a really good title for a show that was just a, a total calamity on on just so many different levels, and uh, but you know, but things like that are obviously very bad for the business, but they're uh, they give you a lot to write about. You know, the 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 good for the magazine business, at least in the short term. Obviously, not good for the magazine business in the long term when a promotion ceases to exist, <laughs> which WCW would just over a year later. And this was a huge part of, you know, this, the destruction of that company and the erosion of, you know, an emotional connection between longtime fans and WCW. People just threw their hands in the air and said, you know, I just can't support this company anymore. It's it's a total shambles. So, Kenny, I feel your pain having to review that show. I'm not sure if I could sit through it again, in all honesty. I'm not sure if I could. Yeah, it was it was a it was a struggle, but I mean, yeah, and it's funny because you know Ollie and KJ they they quite enjoyed the Mamelukes and Ron Don Harris, and I was going well in the UK that that's a a touchy subject because they are the the two teams that headlined that Manchester Arena show in March of two thousand when the advertised stars were Kevin Nash, Sting, and Goldberg. Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah. ended up on Watchdog in the UK if you remember, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> oh. That's it, yeah. All publicity is good publicity. Who was it who came up with that adage? Because it's <laughs> not, simply not true. It's not. There's rare instances where that's the case, but it's definitely the exception rather than the rule. Um, yeah. But we have plenty to talk about. We've got SmackDown, got Revolution, got Raw. There's so much stuff to talk about. So let's just dive in. We're just going to be talking the big stuff from all the shows rather than going through everything. But SmackDown opened with the big confrontation, Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns. Um, the whole thing here was um, basically Roman Reigns kind of telling Cody, you know, um, your dad loved me and, you know, he, he thought I had it. And, you know, when I was around him, he never spoke about you. Maybe he did when he talked to Seth or Kevin or Becky, but he never did when I was around. And he basically said that if Dusty didn't teach, failed to teach him anything, then Roman would, and you know, he was trying to get Cody, and Cody said that in order for him to exist, he needs to beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and said the better, should the better man win. They shook hands, Roman seemed a bit rattled. What do you make of their first confrontation? Did one of them deliver more for you? Was was that the purpose of it? What did you make of the, the first face-to-face? I thought I thought it was it was even. I thought it was very well done. Uh, they gave him a lot of time. And as well, they should have done because this is the this is the biggest match of the weekend of the WrestleMania weekend. Um, you know, Cody was saying, you know, beating Roman Reigns seemed to be the impossible, 
But he had done the impossible. You know, he survived Stardust, you know, drew uh, 10,000 fans to an indie show and did all these other things that people said he never would. Um, you know, Reigns then said, you know, have you ever headline mania held the WWE title, even challenge for it? Um, and Cody didn't say anything to that. So it seemed like that was, you know, one to, to Roman Reigns there. Reigns said that Dusty Rhodes had groomed him for the top. Uh, Dusty said he had it. Um, Reigns said that Dusty never talked about Cody to him. Um, and then um, Reigns said to Cody, I know he's not here anymore, as in Dusty, but just know this. If there's anything that he didn't teach you, I will. I mean, what a gut punch. Love, so love. Cody sold that really well, I thought. And, you know, Dusty, you know, he had a healthy ego on him, Kenny. I'm sure you know this. I'm sure lots of people know that. He really did. Now, if Dusty was around now, he would be loving this, that he's brought up all the time and he's like the center of attention. And, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, real shame that he's not here for reasons concerning Cody and the family and everyone who knew him. But I mean, just from my standpoint, from being a fan, I just wish Dusty was still around, you know, just to just to witness this, because I think he'd be just beaming with pride. You know, he would and he could even be involved on some level. And that would have just, I think, been one of the highlights of his post wrestling career, if not the highlight of his post wrestling career to just be, you know, an observer or a participant, no matter how minor in this upcoming match. So, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that that's a big regret here. And I, I found myself thinking about that a lot as these two were talking about Dusty. And I just thought, oh, you know, obviously, I wish he was still here for all the people who knew him and were related to him. But just, you know, from my standpoint as a fan, if only he could have been a part of this, I think that would have just been fantastic. Um, so, I mean, yeah, Cody, you know, refused to shake his hand um, when Reigns, after Reigns had hit him with that, you know, that that low blow. And he said to Reigns in response that the only way he could exist in WWE was by beating Roman Reigns for the titles at Mania. So, you know, very much communicating the message that, you know, there's almost like nothing for him in WWE if he were to lose to Roman Reigns. You know, so I thought that was huge, just communicating that to us, that this match is everything to him and that losing really is not an option. Yeah, and I, and I think I think that the, to me the segment was designed for Reigns to to have the upper hand because obviously he is the champion. He's the one who's held it for over nine hundred days. But I think they did a good job of making it feel like Cody's. It's not a, a dead cert that Cody's going to beat the WrestleMania. It's not a you know foregone conclusion. They're giving you the element of doubt, um, and then bringing in Dusty was really clever. I heard um, I heard Dave Meltzer say the other day that when he when Dusty used to be in NXT, he would hear reports that if um, when Dusty was in NXT that if Cody won or lost a match on Raw that would kind of affect Dusty's moods for the next couple of days like if Cody won he'd be really happy and if Cody lost he'd be you know quite upset that shows you how much it meant to him that Cody was a wrestler was was doing well so yeah I mean there's so many things that if, if he did, 
if he'd have still been alive and saw, yeah. um, you know, all this stuff. Because I think, you know, I heard that it being brought up the idea of, you know, would would Dusty have been happy if Cody had left WWE? And I bet, I mean, at first maybe he wouldn't have been, but I think once he'd saw All In and the formation of AEW and all the success, I think he would have been beaming with pride. Oh, um, oh no doubt in my mind he would have been. And because that was something Dusty wanted to do, you know, he 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 wanted after he was did, was he sacked or did he leave WCW in December '88? I can't. Remember. I know he was sacked as Booker. I think he actually left of his own accord yeah, um, yeah. in late '88, and um, he wanted to uh, restart what effectively championship wrestling from Florida. I think it was called. Uh, it was it operated under a different name. I think it was PWF. Um, and he wanted to um, basically start up this Florida company and build it into a you know regional and preferably national force. Um, but the backing wasn't there and the timing wasn't right. And there was all sorts of reasons why that didn't happen. But he was a very ambitious guy and he wanted to run his own company. Um, so I think he would have been, he would have thought, you know, good on your son. You're a go-getter. You're doing what I tried to do and didn't do. But obviously Dusty was a booker, you know, in various places for, for Crocky. He did some of the booking when he was working for um, Eddie Graham in Championship Wrestling from Florida in the early 80s. He was involved in a lot of the storylines and ideas there. So, I mean, you know, Dusty, I think, would have massively endorsed his son here. And I'm sure he would have also left. I'm sure he would have left WWE to go and work for um, AEW because there would have been a lot of mileage in him appearing with Cody and Angles and also with Dustin as well. So I feel sure that he would have wanted to be part of that. Yeah, and to see Cody made of it in WrestleMania is just kind of, you know, the the best you, best thing you can imagine. Um, mm. So yeah, very, very good opening uh, salvo between the two of them. Um we then had Roman later on talking to Jimmy backstage about Jay and Jimmy sort of saying, you know, he's a hothead and he just needs a bit more time. And Roman is run out of patience and sort of tells Jimmy. But, you know, but not with Jay, with Jimmy. With Jimmy, because he's like, you're supposed to be fixing this. Yeah. You know, and you're not fixing it. So, um, and that would then lead us to uh, later on the show, we had the main event, obviously, which was uh, Sami Zayn and Solo Sokoa. Um, but before that, we had um, Roman talking to Jimmy again, saying, so, you know, have you spoken to him? Um, and uh, basically, you know, Reigns is saying, that, you know, none of that stuff had happened until Sammy came around. Sammy introduced, you know, all this selfish behaviour to Jay. But if Jimmy can take care of their Sammy's aim problem, Jay would come home. So he told Jimmy to go out, be, go out there and be there solo and to take care of the family. And um, Heyman, told, Heyman told Jay he's got one... Told told Jimmy that Jay's got one week, and uh, he's going to start blame, blaming Jimmy instead of Sammy if this is not sorted. So, the mental manipulation here is 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 very obvious. Yes, certainly, yes, um, yeah. So he was he was heaping all the blame there on Jimmy for this, and and then also blaming Sammy Zayn. But Reigns, of course, is not taking any any of the responsibility for any of the things that had gone wrong within the bloodline. And I think this here will play into the post-WrestleMania storyline, particularly if Reigns loses the belts to Cody Rhodes, because he's going to be severely, severely wounded by a loss after this many days. What did uh, 
Cody Sate was, was it 915 days, I believe it was, as champion? Yeah, 915 days as champion when SmackDown took place on Friday. So if Reigns does lose the belts to Cody Rhodes, this is going to be a huge blow to his self-confidence and to his authority in the bloodline, you know, because the other people in the bloodline are looking to him as the champ, the tribal chief, you know, the guy who's basically invincible. If he loses, will they have the same faith in him? So I think all this will play into the post-WrestleMania story and saga, um, which will be... Far more interesting if Reigns does lose because we're going to see a different Reigns character. Um, I mean, I hope, I really hope that Reigns does lose because if Cody, if Cody doesn't defeat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, I've said this before, I think it's going to be a big problem for him. I think it's also going to be a big problem for the entire company because who's left? You know, I've said this before. There isn't anyone left. It has to be Cody. And also, if Reigns wins at WrestleMania, could this character threaten to grow stale? possibly. Um, if he loses the belts, it's going to be a different character. It's going to be weakened. But I mean, we'll really see, you know, it'd be a real test for Roman Reigns as a character. Can he come back from a huge loss? And will he still be as over? So that'll be interesting, Kenny, as well. Yeah, for sure. And then that leads us to the main event of Sammy and Solo, where Solo ended up getting the win in the end, because uh, Jimmy ended up making the save for Solo from the Haluva kick. Um, and then after that... That was a surprise. I did not see that coming. Yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, I guess the idea is they're building this whole story of on your own, you can't beat the bloodline. You know, we saw that kind of play into Raw as well. But um, I don't know I don't know if I'd be beating Sami Zayn, but then at the same time, you can't really beat Solo Sokoa because he's undefeated. So I guess you kind of have to do it. But at least it wasn't a clean loss. At least it was, you know, Jimmy saved him. Because um, I guess you can't just do DQ finishes on all the matches. No, you can't. I mean, I was still surprised that, that Zayn was beaten by the, uh, the Samoan spike, like a distraction, then the spike, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, look at you know, what it took Roman Reigns. Look at, the amount of, look at the amount of punishment that Roman Reigns had to inflict upon Sami Zayn at Elimination Chamber before he defeated him. So it, it did seem... It did seem a little bit too easy that Solo defeated Zayn with just, you know, after distraction and the spike. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wasn't really that blown away by that, Kenny. I thought that was, I thought that could have been handled better. I suppose in the overall scheme of things, it doesn't really matter since it's more about a story now than the wins and losses, at least in singles matches. Yeah, because Jimmy and Solo then are beating up Sammy and Solo is going to, you know, put a chair around Sammy's head and he's going to do the hip attack and then Jimmy wants to do it. And because they're kind of, arguing over who's going to do it. This allows Sami Zayn to recover and throw the chair at Solo, do a hello kick to Jimmy, and then as he's kind of going to, going to do more, Solo runs him off and Sami escapes. And Roman is not happy backstage. So lots more kind of build. And yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I personally would not be beating Sami Zayn this easily. No. But I think it all comes down to, at the end of the day, they don't see, they don't see Sami Zayn as a top, top star. They see him as like a guy who can be in a top position, but they just don't see him as, you know, the guy to protect that much. Which yeah. you know, we'll, that that'll either come to, to bite them or it'll be proven right. So we'll see. Um anything else on SmackDown that you wanted to go through? I mean, obviously we've got the with with the Bobby Lashley and Bray Wyatt Uncle Howdy segment. <laughs> um, I thought Rhea Ripley versus Liv Morgan. I thought that was a good little match there. Fans who were uh, really into it. it was well received and well mm-hmm. done. Uh, Ripley won with the uh, with an inverted cloverleaf. So submission, 
So she's added that to her repertoire. So I thought that was, I thought that match was well done. Um, the Dominic uh, Mysterio versus S- uh, Santos Escobar match wasn't very good, but in a sense, it didn't really matter. Again, this was more about the story than the match. Uh, Dom um, ended up uh, distracting the referee and Ripley at ringside nailed Escobar with a riptide. She then shoved Escobar back into the ring and Dominic hit a frog splash for the one, two, three. Uh, it, what happened afterwards was more in, more important than what happened in the match. Um, Dominic stole uh, the wrestling, ma- wrestling mask from Escobar that Rey Mysterio had gifted to him and tore the mask up. And then when Rey came out, they had another confrontation um, and uh, Dominic knocked Rey over. I mean, once again, Dominic was trying to goad Rey into fighting him and Rey, refu- Rey turned the other cheek and refused to do so. Mm-hmm. And then Dominic knocked Rey over and then left. So I don't know. I know maybe do you think it'd be next week or the week after? We're gonna have that moment when Ray, you know, says enough is enough. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore. That line from that amazing 70s satire network, which is mm-hmm. I don't know why anyone really uses that phrase anymore, but I've just dug it up anyway. So well, I'm really looking forward to that moment when Ray Mysterio finally says to Dom. Enough is enough. You know, I'll meet you in the ring, son, at WrestleMania. I can't wait for that moment. They're building it up so well. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I think they'll maybe do it in a couple of weeks. I feel like once they do it, they're going to want to get to WrestleMania. They're probably not going to want to linger loads of time after that. So it's coming, though. Um, we do find out that next, this week's SmackDown, we're going to get a five-way to determine who faces Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. We've got Drew, Sheamus, uh, LA Knight, Kofi King, well, it's not Kofi Kings anymore because he's injured, so it might be Xavier Woods instead and Karrion Cross. So yes, yes, um, but I mean, uh, I mean, the important thing was we had Drew. He came out and he called Gunter out, and instead it was Sheamus who came out. He was not called, happy. Not happy. You know, you predicted this one, Kenny, and um, you know, going back to Clash at the Castle. Um, Gunter won that and then they had a, another big match on Smackdown Drew brought that up and said that Sheamus you've had two shots at this guy and you've lost both times you blew it you know it's my turn now it's my time to face Gunter so yeah a lot of tension between Sheamus and Gunter there I know you suggested it may be a three way I think that's what will happen Um, and um, I think that can be a really good match that can be a a real highlight of WrestleMania, actually, Drew versus Sheamus versus Gunter. And I hope at the end of it, we get that Drew heel turn because for all, for all the reasons that we've talked about previously, you know, he needs to turn. You know, he's done all he can as a face. And as a heel, I think Drew can do a lot more than he's going to do as a good guy. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, so hopefully that's hopefully we get that triple threat Mania. I think it'll be great. Um We'll, we'll come to the Bray Wyatt, Bobby Lashley stuff on Raw because I've got a couple of things to say, but I'd rather not go over it twice. Um, let's go through some stuff from AEW Revolution on Sunday night. I will say what I thought was a positive to the show was pretty much, for the most part, every result was the correct result. You know, most people who won were the people who should have won um, in the matches. Ricky Starks did defeat Chris Jericho in the opener. So it yes. was to see him, you know, he's basically got those two wins and seems to be moving on so you know good good to see that Ricky Starks is going to hopefully move on from Jericho a victorious man 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Stax is doing well. I mean, there's been elements of this feud that have been, you know, hard work. Um, but it feels like that's it now, surely. And Ricky Stax can move on. Not quite sure what he's going to do next. He did um, say on the he did say on the, the in the media scrum with Tony. I think he basically kind of jokingly, but you can tell he was being serious. Said, you know, I'm ready. You know, I lost my confidence before, but I can talk. I can wrestle. I can go. Like you know, I'm ready for a top spot kind of thing. So, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that kind of coming out of this show. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Is that apart from MGF, who's the world champ, all the singles champs are babyfaces. So Wardlow, Orange Cassidy are the babyfaces. But yeah. then most of the people who won matches on the show who are going to be moving on to something else are also babyfaces. Yes. You've got Ricky Starks, he won and he what's he going to do next? You've got Jungle Boy Jack Perry who got his win over Christian. What's he going to do next? Um, I will say, I, this kind of ties in. So Wardlow comes out for his match with Samoa Joe. And nobody cared about Wardlow here. I mean, and he also, I mean, this is me nitpicking, but like, he's got new gear and it doesn't look good. Like, instead of having the the singlet that kind of goes down into a kind of short type thing, it's now like a pant type thing instead, which just looks really strange. I mean, to me, Wardlow probably has to go heel. That's probably the only answer because... As a baby face, I just don't think people are going to get behind them. I mean, do you think, do you, what would you do? Would you turn Wardlow heel because people are just not interested? Or would you stay the course and try and see if there's a way to, you know, get people to care again? I mean, it's a big ask, isn't it? I mean, his situation is sort of similar to LA Knight in WWE in that, you know, he suffered this catastrophic loss. I mean, the good news for LA Knight, and this was really obvious on SmackDown Friday, is that LA Knight's going to be fine because he's got his interaction with the audience. You know, he's got his, yeah, you know, he's got all that. And the crowd just can't wait for that guy to turn face. I think it will probably happen after WrestleMania. As I said, after Rumble, there needs to be a little bit of space between that match and him becoming a face so we can... Just let that one fade into memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same with Wardlaw. I think he needs to do something drastic and something different to um, distance us from that, you know, devastating loss to Samoa Joe at the end of last year, which you know, one of the dumbest things. I mean, there's been a lot of dumb things that have happened <laughs> over the last three or four months, but that was really bad. And um, I just don't understand what the purpose of it was. And uh, yeah, we saw the uh, the impact of it. We saw the result of it, um, you know, clear as day at Revolution on Sunday. And you're right, fans just have lost, they've just lost interest in Wardlow. They do not believe in him anymore. And, uh, and that's a real shame because he was a homegrown act who I thought, you know, is a good looking guy. He's got great physique. You know, there was a connection there with the audience. It obviously all been falling apart ever since the split from MGF, sadly. Um, they never really had a post-MGF plan for him, as was obvious. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a big win. It was the it was the right result for his career, but also it just came from out of nowhere. People weren't ready for the finish of that match, were they, Kenny? It was like, well, what's going on here? He's no. just won by submission. And, and also, Joe was, Joe was beaten far too easily as well. 
Yeah, and the other the, the other problem is because they built up Joe as this kind of unstoppable monster guy, which started with beating Wardlow in December, you know, and then he's kind of went through everyone to the point where now the crowd are cheering Joe in this match yeah. because they're now kind of you know he's the veterans so they kind of respect him, um, and he I, was the one who beat Wardlow, made Wardlow look foolish, and this is what happens when you make your heels look too strong; they become cool. Yeah. And then they get over and it, at the expense of the faces. And this is what happened, you know, back in WCW in 96, 97 with the NWO. You had the cool heels. And that's dev- that can be very problematic for their babyface opponents. Yeah, I mean, Wardlow had, Wardlow had a lot of cool things going for him. Like he had the man bun. He just, he looked cool. And now he kind of looks like a slightly neutered version of himself. Yeah. And, I mean, to, yeah, to me, a heel turn... Is the, is going to be what is is necess- as a necessity for him to get back up the card because now, you know, before we wanted to see him maybe go up against MJF because they have the history, but now MJF would eat him for breakfast. You know, MJF would if MJF came out and was doing promo time with with Wardlow, I mean, he would kill him. He would absolutely murder him. It would be a, it would be you know. You need to put a warning up to watch that kind of murder take place. So it'd be like a lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it wouldn't now, actually be the worst idea, Kenny, to turn Wardlow heel and actually then associate him again with MJF. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing because then you can kind of do the whole, you know, you can you can build it again in a different way. I mean, I because so yeah, to me it's like I just don't see anything that they can do with Wardlow as a babyface quickly like what i would actually do is i would have wardlow lose the belt to powerhouse hobbs on dynamite this coming week because they've obviously got that match because hobbs won the you know the face uh, of the revolution ladder match last week yeah and have the loss be the catalyst to the heel turn you know he's lost he's lost himself he's lost the fans he's lost all this stuff and then he you know he thinks he's won it by getting this title back and then and also because hobbs is from I think the area of California near Sacramento where they're going to be. So if the crowd really pop for Hobbs winning, the Wardlow character can use that as, you know, the fans turned on me and, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's an easy story to tell. And I think that's, you know, you, you'll have better results going down that route than forcing something that you've kind of already, you know, bend off really. So, I mean, it's um, a bizarre one because really it should be, this match should not have happened really at Revolution, and then they should have had Samoa Joe drop the belt to Powerhouse Hobbs, shouldn't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this Wardlow win is totally unnecessary, and it's, it's like what we said at the beginning was like, Wardlow's going to come back and he's going to beat Joe to get his win back, but we're going to be right back where we were at the beginning, but worse off. Yeah. So I mean, this was always going to be the predicted. I mean, I actually thought the fans would be more into Wardlow at the moment than they are. So. Um, but the, the other thing I want to ask you about before we talk about the main event was obviously there was the Texas death match with Moxley and Page. Yeah. Um, it, it was not for me at all. Um, I mean, were you ever a death match fan? Was there ever, did death matches ever kind of float your boat? And do you think they have a place on a kind of mainstream American company card like this? Um, yeah. I mean, at, at various points. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, back in 90, Three or whatever, I was this, you know, giddy fanboy for Anita matches and FMW and you know Wing and all these other crazy promotions in that era. And um, you know, I remember covering it in Superstars of Wrestling and then in Power Slam. 
And um, so I enjoyed covering those matches in the magazine. Most of those matches were rotten. I mean, they were really bad, most of them. Um, but I mean, yeah, there is. A, I think there is a place for it when the feud demands it. It's much like a Hell in a Cell match. When the feud demands a Hell in a Cell match, then Hell in a Cell match is great. I mean, we remember Shawn Michaels' Undertaker bad blood because it was the first one, mm-hmm. of course. But I mean, it was an incredible match. And the feud, we'd had the match. Grand Zero the month before. That's it, where they battled around the arena and we needed this cage to put them in. And that's the whole concept of the cage is to keep people in the ring and prevent outside interference. That was the whole idea of it when they invented it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a place for them if they're done well and there's a reason for that match to take place. Um, but, I mean, if you do too many gimmick matches, then they lose their luster and they become commonplace and they're not special anymore, which is the whole idea of them. And there's so many of these type of matches in AEW that, you know, you don't, they're not an event anymore, are they? I mean, I don't think think we even talked about, did it, was it a street fight match they did uh, between the women and Ruby Soho bled loads? I don't think we, uh, like maybe about five weeks ago on Rampage, I don't think we even talked about it here on the podcast. No, but then, but then again, you know, that it kind of plays into another point where I know somebody put a stat out that said that Rampage, if you look at Rampage a year ago to now, they're down 56% in the 18 to 49 demo and they're down 28% in viewership or something. And oh. that's no surprise. We've been talking about this for months and months and months. That it's not a destination program. So, you know, the, the thing you're talking about Ruby Soho, I saw clips of it. I didn't even watch the show because Rampage is just not a show that I need to watch. So, you know, you've got yeah. people on, you've got, I mean, if Ruby Soul is going to be doing that sort of, you know, bl- blood and all that, she shouldn't be doing it on the, the B show that nobody's watching. Exactly. She and that's the on... whole thing. We talked about this before Revolution. It's like, you know, Moxley bleeds nearly every week to the point now it's become a running joke. And, um, you know, he bled in that match with uh, Evil, Evil Uno, which is like a effectively a comedy match. And um, to set up this Texas death match, of course, included loads more blood and, you know, fork and chairs. And, I mean, we had the fake barbed wire and we had fake bricks, fake house <laughs> bricks. I mean, I'm sorry, I just couldn't take it seriously. Do you think if, if Moxley had not bled on TV twice leading up to it, would that have made the blood more impactful? The yeah, fact that we had well, of course it would have done. Absolutely. Of course he would have done. I mean, I mean, it's good that, you know, Hangman Adam Page scored a very convincing win. And he needed the win. Yeah, he did. I'm just hoping that I just don't need to see any more matches between these two ever again. <laughs> so I've no idea what they're both going to do next. Maybe, I hope Moxie's going to take some time off because I think he's totally overexposed. And um, I, just, I just don't want to see him wrestle again for a long time. I just don't want to see any more Moxley blood, which he obviously likes doing, and he's haphazard meandering matches that make no sense at all. Um, <laughs> that's I just it. That's don't want to see any year. more of it. Thanks. Wrestler of the year, John Moxley fan. That's what that is. Um, oh, I mean, it's what sometimes I feel. I feel like I live. Like I, I don't dislike John Moxley at all, and I, I think he's very effective in his role in AEW for the most part. But like. Wrestler of the Year, come on. 
I mean, on what planet is he wrestler of the year? Like, there's just no... I, I don't get it. But, no, um, yeah, this no, match was not for me. I kind of shared the Cornette thing. I mean, I, I try to not share too many Cornette opinions so I don't want to become <laughs> Cornette against wrestling. But I, I do kind of like the idea that, like, in wrestling you're supposed to make it look real but not hurt the person. Yes. And I feel like in this, they were hurting each other. And, and they were just hurting each other at points. You know, and, and they were, and it just, yeah. So anyway, um, the main event though with uh, MGF and Brian I mean, Sorry, Kenny. Sorry, to me, if you're a really skilled performer, and I know you can say this about Cactus Jack and Triple H at Rumble 2000, and obviously they had all the gimmicks there. But if... You, if you're really a skilled performer, you don't need that many gimmicks. And it, and to me, the gimmicks were a substitute for talent. And it's like, if you're really that good, then put together an exciting match without that's just not all props. And that, to me, it just felt like this procession of props. And the bricks, I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I mean, fake bricks. And so just quite, uh, so, so much bricks. You know, fake barbed wire is bad enough. Obviously, I understand why they use the fake barbed wire, and that's better than using the real stuff for obvious reasons, although it doesn't look real because, you know, as anyone as anyone who's ever come into contact with barbed wire will know that if you're <laughs> scraping yourself with barbed wire, you're going to be, there's just going to be, it's, you're going to be covered in, you know, you're going to be covered in uh, lacerations, you know, so, um, you know, jagged cuts, it's just going to leave, cause that to your skin. And like when they're attacking each other with barbed wire and nothing's happening, it's like, well, it kind of rather exposes that you're not using real barbed wire. But I mean, but then to include fake bricks, Kenny. Oh. It's like the it's like the cinder blocks from 2003 with Bischoff and Jim Ross. So well, um I mean yeah, I, and I think I think the thing with Moxley that like cause I know some some people love it. Some people love his 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 style and what he does, and that's fine. But I think the thing for me is I don't think he's I don't think he's a bad performer. Like, I don't think he needs to use some of the shortcuts that he uses. And that's the frustration is that he could, he's more than capable of doing better. And I think some of the blame has to lay with Tony Khan here where he needs to be saying, you know, you're not bleeding on TV until you have the Texas death match. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of telling you that's Restraint. the way. Restraint. Restraint. That's what we need. Um, the main event, though, with MJF and Brian Danielson, what a match. What a great Ironman match. Um, MJF really, I thought, proved himself that he can go in a top match like this, and um, he looked in great shape. And uh, Brian Danielson continues to be magic. Um, but, uh, I mean, MJF won, which was not a surprise, you know, because they've got so much behind MJF, and they yeah. weren't, you know, Danielson wasn't going to win it. But what did you make of kind of the way it ended and, um, I mean, at least they, they, they went down the route of doing a, a lot of falls rather than, good God, the Brett and Sean Ironman match again. It's <laughs> always the fear. But, uh, <laughs> you... yeah. yeah, oh yeah, was it um, MJF winning overtime 4-3, yeah. didn't he? After yes, striking yes. Danielson with a oxygen tank um, and then beating him with his own LaBelle lock. Brian <laughs> and tapped out. Um, I mean, it was sort of almost like a Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns response in the arena, wasn't it? After he lost and people were really disappointed that Danielson hadn't won, not as disappointed as they were that Sami Zayn hadn't defeated Roman Reigns. 
No. Um, I mean, I guess the difference in WWE is they had a story all lined up for Sami Zayn. I am curious to see what Danielson does next. I actually would have liked to have seen Danielson win because unless they've got a master plan for Danielson, he just adds this to this long list. I wrote about this in my last column. He's now joining this long list of, you know, veterans there who've been to the top of the mountain and, you know, what really is their role in future other than as people, as talent to put other talent over. So I'm not really sure what Danielson's next move is. You can say, well, he could turn heel. Yeah, he could. But what's his what's the what's his long term goal as a heel? Yeah. And I don't really know what that is. And and we've talked previously about you know the William Regal thing. Obviously, it was a shame that he didn't stick around. And you know he should have been involved in this. We talked about this previously, and that was a mistake by Tony Khan to let William Regal out of his deal early. He should have said, right, yeah, I'll let you out of the deal after Revolution. I think Regal would have added so much to this story. Um, and he could have done, he could have turned heel on Danielson. And then he could have gone, you know, he could have done the heel turn on Danielson there or whatever. Or he could have turned heel on MGF. I don't know. But he could have done something where he'd been involved in the, oh, sorry, turned babyface on MGF. There's mm-hmm. something that he could have done there and been involved in the finish. And I think it would have made it, you know, more interesting. Um, so, yeah, obviously MGF cheated to win. But, you know, he's still. He still beat Brian with his Danielson with his own with his own hold, with his own submission hold. So, yeah, I do worry for for Brian Danielson as to how relevant he can be in future. And I think had he become champion, I think that would have in some ways been good for MGF because it would have knocked the wind out of his sails. You know, and he would have been, you know, they could have done a sort of screwy finish where Danielson didn't defeat him totally clean. And I think that would have um, created a lot, a huge appetite for a rematch between those two. And I think had MGF regained the belt in, say, six weeks, I think that would have been like a really big TV match that they could have done. And in the interim, Danielson would have looked like a winner. And, you know, he could have done things with a belt, which I think would have been quite exciting. And I think a lot of fans who don't normally watch AEW might have tuned in to see Danielson as champion. I think some WWE fans would have been more inclined to watch AEW if a guy that they used to have a huge emotional connection with was world champion. So, you know, I wouldn't have gone down that road. I think Danielson should have won. Um, I mean, you know, hopefully there's a master plan in place for tomorrow night. And out on Thursday, you know, when we record next, I'll say, you know what? That was the right decision. You know, good on you, Tony. Hopefully that'll be my reaction after this week's Dynamite. But as things stand now, I would have gone with Danielson and made him jump. I mean, I think that the, the match itself was tremendous. And I mean, it's funny, I did see a, a tweet actually, which uh, Benno on Twitter wanted to just read this. It was, it was actually scathing, but like really true. Because someone had said, someone had tweeted out, you know, it was a year ago today that William Regal turned up in AEW. And then somebody said on Twitter, I don't think anyone has had as much impact in AEW in less than a year since Brody Lee talking about Regal. And then this guy, Beryl, just wrote, he turned up, took mic time away from better promos in his stable to talk about putting toothbrushes up his arse, flirted with Excalibur, and then fucked off back to Triple H, leaving a gaping hole in the top program in the company. Unforgettable year. And you go, well, that, that's that. You know, at the end, he kind of did leave that. I mean, the thing I think that was clever about the Danielson-MGF thing is 
they didn't go down because I think with the Sami Zayn comparison, part of the reason why people were so devastated is because it was so hyped. As you know, he's yeah. come to his hometown and could he do it? And they almost had me believing by the day maybe he'll win because it was so hyped up that he could do it for Montreal and all that. So with Danielson, it was, you know, you weren't really thinking he was going to win. So it, it wasn't like a people weren't as crushed as they were with Sammy. But um, I hope that coming out of it, Danielson, I think he could be a valuable player in the mid-card title scene, you know, whether it's the TNT or the Atlantic and having kind of working with some people and doing a program that means something where he can get wins and he doesn't have to put over the guy all the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, and with, with, with MJF, it'll be interesting because if he does go with Paige, I don't see Paige as the guy who beats him. So, no. Um, and then, you know, then there's the whole conversation about 2024. What's MJF going to do? Um, I mean, the fact, that he, the fact that he wrestles so infrequently and is able to perform at the level he is, it's kind of astounding that he's able to to do so well. Um, but we will see what happens on the fallout on Dynamite uh, tomorrow. But um, yeah. let's move on to Raw. Your big pal JC Finn was back. John Cena came out and boy, did he cut a promo on our pal Austin Theory. What did you make of uh, his promo segment with Austin Theory that leads to the match at WrestleMania where no matter whether he wins or loses, according to John Cena... Austin Theory's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I told you. I told everyone between like 2006 and 2014. And, you know, a lot of people said I was wrong. A lot of people said I was right, actually. You know, I only said this for eight years, like, <laughs> like nearly every month. Um, actually, I don't think it's as bad as it looks. You know, obviously, it's going to be terrible if Cena wins. Uh, but surely, surely that's not going to happen. I mean, he's just passing through. It's just one match. I will say, after this promo, I am way more confident that Austin Theory is going to win. For sure. Yes. But, I mean, I, I, I think that I definitely understand why some people see this as a burial of Austin Theory, because it, it, it definitely was within the promo. But... What, the compliment I'll give it is that I wasn't really that excited about John Cena and Austin Theory before, and Cena's promo was pretty interesting, and I thought he showed some fire. Um, but he did, but it didn't make any sense, did it? I mean, and like if you're backstage and you're Bobby Lashley and you're Seth Rollins, I mean they're obviously smart, they're smart to Cena, and they know how he is, and they'll be thinking, "Wow, we, you know, we really put Theory over at Survivor Series. We made him look like a million bucks." And now Cena's out there saying no one cares, <laughs> you know. And it's—I mean, I know it's just a—it's just a promo. And Cena, Cena's promos, you know, seven times out of ten didn't make any sense anyway. And this one really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he said, "I've been watching you." This is what Cena said to Theory: "I've been watching you, and I—and I've been listening to you, and I don't care. <laughs> just like every single person in here, we don't care about you." Why? We don't care about you because we don't believe you. We don't believe you because you don't believe you. You're a generic kid out here in fancy sneakers wearing sunglasses indoors and you got nothing in here, points to his chest. And Cena said the theory had no heart and soul. They don't believe in you, meaning the fans. And Cena said people were not there to see him. 
no one cares and you're wasting our time. So, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, it's called that huge win at Survivor Series. Theory had a good night Royal Rumble. He retained the US title in the Elimination Chamber match. Hell of a match. We know Theory's a you know, top talent. Had a huge match at WrestleMania last year. Um, so, I mean, it didn't make any sense. So, I mean, you know, Cena really belittled Theory here. And then that led to, um, you know, like a challenge. Um, and Theory said to to Cena, um, brought up Cena's bald spot. Cena said, I would much rather be bald than have them piping fake crowd noise for my matches because nobody cares. And Cena said to Theory that he's not ready and he still sucks and he's full of crap. And in the end, you know, Cena asked the crowd if they wanted the Theory versus Cena match at Mania. And of course, the fans said yes. So the match will happen. So yes, it's going to go down. So, I mean, so long as Theory wins, no harm done. You know, it doesn't really matter in the overall scheme of things. And I thought Theory really showed his mettle here that he didn't crack. You know, he didn't sell any of this. You know, and it would have been very had... easy to track. If, and within that, it would have been very easy to just lose your cool. So I think he did really well. He did. And, um, I mean, to me, we know Theory is a huge talent. He's a huge star. He's a tremendous all-rounder. So, in a sense, he doesn't... And we know he is because he dealt with Cena, you know, and the audience was absolutely on Cena's side. This role was held in Boston and Cena now because he only appears a couple of times a year, then people cheer him, unlike during his heyday when they booed him. So, I mean, you know, Theory withstood all of this. You know, he hit his mark as he said everything that he needed to say, and he said it in the way that it needed to be said. And, um, you know, as long as the match is at least decent, there's not too much. I really hope Cena lets Theory call it. Now, if Cena's yelling spots, spots out here, it's going to be like, it's just going to be a clown show, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> uh, you know, so we, we, I mean, I will say the fact that we got uh, Theory to make a reference to Cena's bald spot was fantastic. So yeah, it was. There was. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll, it's all going to be in how Theory gets to respond to Cena. Like, I want to see Theory come out and you know really give it to Cena, and you know, yeah. go, you know, I'm going to do this for all the young guys that didn't weren't able to stand up to you or whatever. You know, just go full pelt with it so um yeah but yeah but i mean the big the big story of raw was not the return of john cena which you know was obviously the focal point of the show it was we got the moment that we all thought was inevitable because the main event was sammy zane and jimmy Uso. obviously the whole story of the show was what's happened with jay you know what what's going on Heyman's telling them you know we've only got till friday and uh sammy ends up beating jimmy Uso, and then afterwards Jay's there, and um, and it all falls apart for Sami Zayn because we think that Jay and Sami are on the same page, but Jay turns on him. And uh, I mean, I mean, were you surprised to see this moment on Raw? And what did you think of how they executed it? Did it? Did it? Was it as big a moment as you wanted it to be? I mean, the thing about it is, we knew it was coming. Of course, we did. And I think this was the right time to do it. Um, in some ways, maybe this Friday on SmackDown would have been the right time to do it, actually. But 
you know, I'm splitting hairs here, whether it was on Raw or SmackDown this week. It had to happen this week, obviously, because Roman Reigns had said, listen, if Jay's not back and back back on back in the bloodline by you know the March 10th uh SmackDown, then he's out. You know, there's a big problem here. So it was gonna happen this week, the moment when we discovered or learned uh which side that Jay was on. So um yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was pretty well handled. I mean, again, it was this match was secondary to the angle, and Zayn scored a fairly <laughs> pretty easy win over Jimmy, actually. Um, and I, I suppose we're not we're not really dwelling on the outcome. We're, we're talking about what happened afterwards. So uh, Jay did, you know, he was in the ring with Jimmy, and he sort of hinted that. They were through and he sort of walked past Jimmy to ringside where Sammy was. And then Jay hugged Sammy and Sammy was elated. And then we had this long pause and you could see Jay was positioning himself just just far enough away from Sammy and just in the right spot. The camera's just there perfectly to capture what you know is coming. And then he hits the super kick and always amazes me, Kenny, how they do that move without or the super kick how they do that kick without hurting the opponent because i must take a hell of a lot of precision wasn't it and as we know lots of people do super kicks in pro wrestling and that one had to be spot on because of where the camera was didn't it as yeah i mean that that move is to me is when you see someone do a super kick with all the, the the best elements you know you don't see a slap you don't see you know it looks like it connects you hear a noise all the bits and yeah. it works perfectly. It's so impressive. It's almost like seeing somebody nail a really good right hand, which is so rare that you see someone do that, but it looks real. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you should. All, I mean, it's always really commendable when you see someone who's able to kind of nail all the elements together to make it work. Yeah. So he drilled Sammy with the kick and the camera was there perfectly to capture it. People were stunned. Sammy couldn't believe it. Um, and he Jay hurled Sammy into the ring and started Jimmy started pummeling in, then Jay threw Jimmy off, and then he started laying in, then Solo came out. And at that point, Cody Rhodes, he was wearing his suit and he's wearing his nice shoes. Nice shoes, by the way, Cody. I'm mean, <laughs> in the market for some shoes like that. And he ran out in his nice shoes. And um, the uh, Jimmy and Jay and Solo uh, retreated. They uh, They left, which was the right thing to do. We don't need any Cody... And Jimmy and Jane solo fisticuffs yet. It's too soon. Maybe next week we'll get that. So, yeah, I, th- I think it was well done. Maybe I would have liked to have seen it take place on SmackDown, you know, with Roman there. But maybe Roman's not going to be on SmackDown this Friday. I'm not sure whether he's going to be there or not. Um, but it's happened. Uh, we should also mention as well, earlier in the show. Um, this is the, yeah, the, key, the key part of Kevin Owens, right, is because we talked about on SmackDown when Solo beat Sammy. That the whole story is, can we beat them on, on our own? And Sammy was trying to recruit Kevin Owens to be like, you know, we don't have to be friends, but, you know, let's beat them together. And ironically, they were in the same building as War Games. So, of course, Kevin Owens was was not having it. And, I mean, I'm someone who in real life has the potential to be really petty about something if I get crossed. I know that, Kenny. <laughs> so, I I'm if somebody crossed me, then I would I would really want to make sure that that person is not going to do it again before I bring them back into the fold. So I totally understand where Kevin Owens is coming from here. I mean, you know, let's face it, right? You are the male version of a Karen, aren't you, Kenny? So 
You are a Kenny, let's be honest. Right, where are we going with this? <laughs> I don't I don't see good things for the end of this comparison. <laughs> anyway, Kevin Owens, back to him. He was uh, telling Sammy Zane to go back to Roman. Roman will still have you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which was, uh, was, was good. Say, well, because, yeah, early in the show, we had Solo Sokol versus Kevin Owens. And, and uh, Kevin had that match won, but Solo can't be beaten on TV. So Jimmy had to do the run-in for the DQ, and then Sakawa and Jimmy beat down Owens, and then Sami Zayn made the save and offered his hand of friendship to Owens, who walked off, rejected that handshake to the sound of booze. And that led to the backstage confrontation in which Owens said, go back to your old pals, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. But this is all, it all makes total sense. We've seen so many times where people just get back together and there's no real reason for it. Or, you know, you can go, oh, I wish they'd let it play out. So, you know, this is happening in real time, which I really appreciate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, um, I mean, you know, I imagine we're going to have, I would think next week we'll have another confrontation, a converse, not confrontation, conversation between Sammy and Kevin. And then I would think probably the week after is when we'll have the reconciliation or maybe the offer of the tag team title match. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's what will finally convince Owens to team with Sammy. You know, we're not friends. You know, maybe that'll play into the story of the match at WrestleMania, Kenny, that Kevin's going into this reluctantly, still doesn't really like Sammy. And it'll be only after they win the belts that they'll have the emotional hug. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's how it's going to play out. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the story's still got, you know, we're, we're, what, three and a half weeks away from WrestleMania and there's still more story to happen. So this is really good. Um, we should mention as well that we, we now know we're going to get Damage Control versus Becky, Lita and Trish at WrestleMania in a six-woman tag. How do you feel about this as the Mania match? My spirits have been killed. <laughs> I mean, where does this leave Ronda? Well, you apparently... The story is that as of now, Ronda and Shayna are still going to face whoever the tag champs are on one of the nights, and the other night will be the six women tag. Ah, right, I see. So Mm. I guess it's who you want to be doing double duty. Yeah, well, that is odd, because normally that doesn't happen. I know they want the shows to be about four hours each, and not everyone can be on WrestleMania, but it feels like Ronda should be on it. 
So can you, can you imagine the idea that we have two Lita matches at WrestleMania? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. no! I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about that at all. No, oh, I just uh, no. It was kind of feeble and um, not looking forward to the match. Um, I mean Bailey and obviously Becky are because they grew up as fans of Lita and Trish Stratus, and this is, I'm sure, a highlight in their careers, but it's certainly not a highlight for me as a follower of Pro Wrestling Kenny. What do you think about it? What's your opinion? Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, it, it doesn't blow me away, but at the same time, I think it probably does have, I think you're setting it up so that Lita and Trish can probably have a better time of it because they're not expected to be in there one-on-one with somebody and yeah. you can do more. I think Trish will be the star of the match. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious. I I just don't see Becky and Lita wrestling twice. So I almost wonder if Io Sky and Dakota Kai win the titles back on TV, and then they're the ones that drop them to Ronda and Shayna at WrestleMania. Um, I, I, they could do that. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not blown away. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm 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 trying to be open to it. Maybe the storyline will pick up. Um, I mean. I don't need to see two Lita matches. Is all no, no. Um, we did talk about, uh, you know, in SmackDown, we had Bobby Lashley going over to SmackDown to end up, you know, getting attacked by Uncle Howdy and taking care of him. Um, and we then, you know, had a bit more of it on Raw. I mean, I just, what I do like is that Bobby Lashley refuses to sell any of this shit. <laughs> delivered his way. And that's what he should do for the, the duration of this. Yeah. Just ignore yeah. it. Um, exactly. I mean, I've got to say, I mean, Uncle Howdy. Do we know who was behind the Uncle Howdy mask on SmackDown on Friday? Is it Bo Dallas? Because we got there was chat of him at one point. He moved really well. I mean, he, I mean, he moved. Really, he looked. He moved a hell of a lot better than Bo Dallas ever here's did. Here's the thing: Uncle Howdy turned up. He then was playing mind games with Bray Wyatt. He then attacked Bray Wyatt. Then there was no follow up. Then they were pals. Then he helped Bray Wyatt with LA Knight after. Bray Wyatt put on his mask that makes him, you know, uh, impervious to pain. Yeah. And then he attacks Bobby Lashley, and Bobby Lashley treats him like he's a jobber. So, I mean, <laughs> the story has more holes in it than a fucking hole punch. You know, it's just, it's it's dire, but... Uh, hey, uh, look on the bright side, Kenny, there was no Bray Wyatt on either SmackDown or Raw this week. That that was good. We. You know, if we can have as, as least Bray Wyatt appearances as possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm saying, you know, if there's going to be a, you know, a talent clear out post-WrestleMania, <laughs> you know, put Bray Wyatt's name on it for all I care. I know. I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And yeah. um, the last the last thing, let's move on from, because he doesn't deserve the airtime. Um, but the, the one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was Logan Paul and Seth Rollins face-off with The Miz. I mean, Logan Paul... Now that he's a heel, I mean, this is just great, isn't it? You know, you get the crowd chatting, fuck you, Logan. And, you know, it's just the crowd are booing him. He's playing it up. Yeah. And, I mean, this, is, this, this to me is going to be one of the highlight matches of WrestleMania. For sure. Oh, without a doubt. Just quickly, just before we uh, mention, I just want to uh, just also compliment the uh, Carmella versus Bianca Belair match. I thought that was actually really good for a mid-card match. And Bianca seemed more motivated here than she has done 
really in any match all year. And Chelsea Green was at ringside with Carmelo. I think they're a really good double act as a mid-card unit. I can see them as future tag team champions. Um, actually thought this was, was uh, yeah, Bel- could have been Belair's best match of the year. I mean, I that sounds insane, uh, but I think it may well have been. It was one I enjoyed more than any other. Just, to, after- just to, peggy off that, to peggy back off that before you move on, um, I do want to give a shout out to Adam Pierce for when he saw Carmela and Chelsea Green and turn direction. Was <laughs> the comedy timing on that was great. <laughs> That's it. I mean, there was Chelsea referred to uh, Adam as a dumpster fire. <laughs> like, Adam's like, oh no, oh no, I just can't stand it, you know. <laughs> just going home. So he just yeah, did a U-turn and just departed. I mean, that was really funny. And um, and after the match, uh, Chelsea and Carmella beat Bianca down. And then Asuka came out wearing these huge heels. And she doesn't look to me like she's really that confident work- walking in heels. Never been able to understand why people wear unsuitable footwear for run-ins, Kenny. Never been able to understand that one. No, and she the mist um, at Green. So I imagine that Green was probably looking for Adam Pearce backstage, was probably going to complain to him about creating an unsafe working environment. I think by then Adam Pearce had left the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, getting back to Logan Paul and Seth Rollins and The Miz, I think The Miz was tremendous here as well. I mean, I just thought he was like the moderator of this face-to-face Miz is going to be the host of WrestleMania, and I'm with you. I mean, I think the Miz in this role, this is the perfect role for him. I mean, we can't take him seriously as a wrestler anymore, but I think he's still got a lot to give WWE, and I thought he was a lot of fun here. And, uh, yeah, Rollins, I thought, was great. Um, He let Paul talk, he let Miz talk, and then he called um, Paul the scum of the earth. You know, didn't like him, didn't want him around. Um, and then we had the WrestleMania challenge and Paul was like, well, you know, yeah, but it's got to be somewhere better than Boston. The money's got to be right. Um, and then Miz said, well, I can make the match happen. And then Rollins said, well, you, you can make the match happen now. You can make the match happen now. And he hurled him out of the ring. Go and make that match happen. And that then led to a scuffle between Logan Paul and Seth. And Miz came back in and distract, distracted Rollins. And at that point, Logan Paul nailed Rollins with his big right hand, KO'd him. And Rollins sold it like he was properly knocked out. And uh, Paul gloated and, uh, yeah, really enjoyed the angle. And, um, you know, we were saying this last year, Paul's just got to get with the program. He's got to accept that people are never going to like him. And he's got to, you know, revel in it. He's got to celebrate it. He's got to go with it. He's got to use it to his advantage. And he's absolutely doing that now. Um, yeah, I'm with you. So, I mean, the, on Raw, there was a lot, they pulled the trigger on a lot of stuff on Raw, which is good. You know, we're now, they're pacing WrestleMania this year pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I also, did you see at one point where they said Becky G is going to be the performer of America the Beautiful? I, I'm officially that Asian I've been where I have to Wikipedia people. I don't know who they are. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've no idea. And I mean, all I've got so far from my cursory glance is that she had a, a single with Bad Bunny in 2017 and she was an opening act for Fifth Harmony, the girl group at one point. So, okay. who doesn't knows? Really seem, doesn't really seem like a big deal, does she? No, she does not. Uh, she had a top 20 song in the Billboard Hot 100 in 2022. Um, but, I mean, I've yeah, no idea. Um so, but I yeah, mean, in LA, 
I mean, it's I mean, it's not people don't even have to travel up. I mean, that's where a lot of singers live. You would have thought that you'd be able to get someone who is a bigger name to just drive in. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're long gone in the days where you get Aretha Franklin or Ray Charles or, you know, I mean, I've always thought, you know, it'd be great if they just pushed the boat out and got like Mariah Carey to come out and just, you know, break, you know, lamps with her, her voice. Because she goes up to that octane, it's just not human. Um, but instead, we get Becky G. So great. Um, well, you know, well, maybe the kids like her. At least some of the kids. Maybe some yeah. of the kids like. Her. Maybe she is a good singer. I know nothing about her. I know nothing about modern mu- music. Everyone knows that. Well, actually, people don't probably didn't know that, Lady, but they do now. Lady Gaga, get her in. Everybody knows who she is. Well, that's it. I mean, she's still she's still a big deal, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's huge. But I mean, maybe. Maybe Becky G will do it for a hundred grand, and Lady Gaga would want a million, so they just kind of settle on Becky G. Um, yeah. Anyway, listen, we will be back on Thursday with Power Slam over on Patreon. It'll be on the main feed on Friday. Thank you for all your support. Uh, Inside the Magazine.com is where you can obviously support the mag. Please do. Um, lots of fun stuff coming up, which we'll be talking about next week. So, um, and Patreon is the best direct way to support us to keep doing the podcasts at patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes. So, uh, yes. I hope you enjoy your week, and maybe, maybe by Thursday, will we be ready to talk about the other thing that's going to be in the mag? Yeah, yeah, we yeah, we'll talk about that on Thursday. We said we were going to this week, okay. And um, I sent you a little snippet from the Jake Roberts interview, didn't I, yesterday? Fantastic. Uh, yeah, very good. Very, uh, you know, you can read it and you can actually feel that it's Jake talking, which is a. Uh, you know, that's something that happens with cornet interviews as well. As you kind of read it, and you're like, I can imagine Jim saying that. Yeah, I mean, wait until people read this, and they're like, "Wow, Finley, you had to put some work into that. You had to put some work into that interview. It's actually <laughs> more like a conversation than an interview because a lot of his a lot of Jake's answers are quite short. So there's just me then coming back, and there's just it's more like it's it's I'm probably I've done interview an interview like this, but not for a long time. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I don't like to blow my own trumpet too much and mark my own homework <laughs> when it comes to these things. But I think people will enjoy this interview with Jake. And as for the other thing, I don't really know what people are going to think about that. I have no idea, but we'll talk about that on Thursday. Yeah, I, th- I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised at, you know, I think I think you're... You're being very honest and open with the, the readership, which I think is a, a bold thing to do that's, you know, admirable to kind of you just kind of go, here's here's what happened. Here's people can draw their own conclusions. But Yeah, I mean, I was in two minds. I was like, that's it. We're not using it. And then, well, maybe we should use it. And then, oh, yeah, we're going to use it. And then I was like, oh, I don't know whether we should use it. Yeah, we are using it. All right, then we're using it. So, <laughs> so it's it, we're using it. It's going out. And uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think people are going to be I think, yeah, I think people are going to be very... Well, we'll talk about it Thursday because there's, there's, yes. there's chat to have. Um, yeah, thank you for all your support, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 